Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to share my podcast interview with my friend, Caroline Wright Turnipseed, who just launched her very own company called CWT Consulting Group. Prior to launching her company, Caroline spent 10 years leading teams in all areas of marketing at a variety of different companies, such as Lily Poulter, Victoria's Secret, and Gal Meets Glam. After creating a vast network of connections at all three companies and becoming an expert in all things marketing, this past February, Caroline decided to launch CWT Consulting Group, which is a full-service marketing partner fueling incredible growth for new-to-market and established brand clients. Fun fact, some of her clients include past podcast guests such as Marky Walters Adzik of Addison Bay, Jamie Winchester Paradise of Jane Wynn Jewelry, and Tucker Knack. Caroline has incredible grit and a can-do, figure-it-out attitude. I'm so excited to continue to watch her launch her company. Welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you here. And um, just so listeners know how we are connected, I met you at Margie Walter at Dick's wedding in 2015 in Naples, Florida, which is one of my most favorite wedding weekends. And I liked you from the minute I met you because of your positive, infectious energy. And so listeners know you worked closely with Margie at Lily at the time. And Margie's also a past podcast guest and is the founder of Addison Bay. So I'll give her a shout out and obviously link um, Addison Bay's website to this podcast. And then you also work with past podcast guest, Janie Winchester Paradise. And she was your boss at Lily, correct? Yes. Okay. And Janie has also been on the podcast twice. And she is such a wonderful, thriving jewelry company. It's called Jane Wynn by Jane Winchester Paradise. And I'll also link um, her interview and her website as well. So anyhow, Caroline, I don't think you remember this, but the last time I saw you, um, you had just accepted your job at Victoria's Secret and you were about to move from Philly. And I think we were at like this juice pod where they sell the acetables in Philly just after a soul cycle class. Do you remember? Yes, I miss soul cycle. Yes. <laughs> and you were telling me all about the Victoria's Secret opportunity. And although I was, I remember being really sad that you were leaving Philly, but I was also super impressed because I think it takes such courage to move to a new city and sort of start over again. And I just had this feeling you were going to do incredible things. And now fast forward, how many years ago was that? Three, two. Three, two. Yeah. Fast forward to three, two years and you just started your own company. So I was right. You are doing incredible things, which is so cool. Before we dive into your company that you just launched, I'd love to start from the very beginning by you having, um, starting off telling us a little bit about where you grew up. Okay. Well, thanks so much for having me, Steph. Yeah. I always listen to all of your podcasts, so it's extra special to be here. Nice. Um, okay, where I grew up. I grew up in St. Louis um, and lived there my entire childhood, and um, my parents still live in the house we grew up in, so love being able to go back there and visit a lot. Nice. And then what sort of influence did your parents have on you? Well, I'd say, first off, I am hands down so lucky to have the best parents um, that my whole childhood and still now are so supportive and loving. Um, they also have just an incredible marriage that definitely influences me more and more um, and is incredibly inspiring and just so selfless. So I hope I can somehow be just as good as parents as they were. And that's, you know, number one influence. Right. Um, and then as far as like work related, I think, I think it's important to know I was a very high energy child, like so many ideas and projects. Um, I have a younger and older brother. They probably say I was a lot. Um, and fortunately my parents absolutely embraced it. Um, I'm not sure if they were just happy that I was occupied, but I'd come up with these ideas of things to do, um, or truly encouraging. But, um, like one summer in third grade, I turned our like extra bedroom into a full library, like put barcodes on all the books and had like an Excel spreadsheet. And if anyone, my parents, brothers wanted to get a book, they had it come to me so I could scan it out and track it out. Um, so like my poor brothers, um, and always trying to start new businesses that my parents, you know, were encouraging, but like looking back, what was I doing? Um, like I started a purse business and would go to like country club to country club, selling them in the pro shop. That's amazing. Um, I like the entrepreneurial bug. Oh, absolutely. Um, and like I had, I wanted, it's called 
Camp Caroline and I made brochures that was babysitting neighborhoods. But I had it down like in sixth, seventh grade that I would charge $25 a day, but it was 35 if you wanted us to provide the t-shirt to tie-dye. So like very entrepreneurial for that age and thinking about the financial sides of things. So I think you get the picture, but um, looking back now, like having a child like that, my parents were so patient and encouraging and just let me be me. Um, So always you know, felt very loved, um, but never pressured to, you know, be a certain way or have to do certain things. So it was just the best um, nurturing environment. That's awesome. And then I saw that you went to SMU for college, right? So what was that experience like? Yes, I went to SMU in Dallas and loved, loved, loved it. Um, I'd say the Oh my gosh, I want to go back now. College is the best four years, and I feel terrible for everyone who's in it during COVID-19 because how do you get that time back? Um, I, you know, absolutely have still some of my closest lifelong friends from there um, and got so much out of my business classes and my business network. So many people are people that I crossed paths there. Um I think it's interesting that I actually really wanted to go to UVA, um, like dead set on that. And how to for a really involved at my school, president of several clubs with like banking on that happening um, and didn't get in. And I was devastated. Mm. Um, so it's a good learning that when things don't, you know, you don't get something that you want that it can actually work out even better. Cause I could not imagine myself going anywhere else. Right. Um, I had several cousins that went to SMU that all had different personalities, and they loved it, so it was great to know people there, Mm -hmm. Um, and you you visited, you have a great time, um, and I I loved it and couldn't recommend it more to anyone else. Um, and I'm just so grateful that it happened that way. Right. I love that. I think that's really good advice too for anyone tuning in that, you know, maybe a senior in um, high school and waiting to hear back from certain places that it does all work out, even if you don't get into your like quote, quote, dream school. Um, Absolutely. So moving forward a little bit, I know that your first job out of college was at Lily, correct? Yes. So how did that opportunity arise? And I have to ask you because I'm from Philly, right outside of Philly, and mostly everyone I know is also from Philly. (laughs) Um, So were you (laughs) at all to break into Philadelphia, especially because there's not that many besides Urban Outfitters and Lily, and am I missing any other major fashion headquarters here? Um, there's not, you know, a huge presence. So were you hesitant at all to, to take the job at Lily because of that? So I'd say I grew up loving Lily Pulitzer and getting, I started as an intern there. So uh, like you live in Villanova dorms for the summer and I got that. I had experience before I'd worked like in Nordstrom and Kate Spade store. I interned with NBC Universal Pictures in London. Mm-hmm. So my, Fortunately, applying, you know, your junior um, year summer, I had already prior internships, but so I submitted my application, just, you know, the normal blindly upload on the site and hadn't heard anything back. Um, so I like stalked the girl who was the marketing intern that was featured on the Lily blog on Facebook um, and like creepily sent her the message like, hey, I've done this. Would love to just get my resume noticed. Thanks so much for any help. And really owe it to her that she forwarded it to, you know, the recruiter at HR um, and got it noticed because I'm sure thousands and thousands of people apply and there's no way to go through all of them. Um, and in, you know, had my, it was like four interviews and had the internship there. And I think it could have been in any city and I would have gone. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but that being said, when I got uh, my offer for a full-time role at the end of my internship, like I remember my mom like came to Philly to help uh, move me out of Villanova dorms. And I was graduating early, so I'd be back in January okay. um, to start working. And she's like, I feel like we should see the city. You know, you're going to be moving here. I'm like, oh, okay, sure, we can drive around. Because I spent my whole internship, like, you know, working so much during the week. And then I take a train to New York to see all my friends right. there um, every weekend. Um, so, obviously went around and experienced Philadelphia more. Um, and at the be- beginning, like friends would ask me, are you, 
you excited about Philadelphia? What's it like? <laughs> Remember, I always say, oh, guys, wear cargo shorts there. Can you believe it? Um, <laughs> and kind of ha- totally hated on it, but loved my job. Right. Um, but over the six years, oh my gosh, I grew to love it so much. It's one of my favorite cities. It is so, so underrated. Um, by the end of my time there, it was all my friends from New York coming down to Philly um, to experience there. Um, and just so much, so fast growing. Um, I lived in like the Rittenhouse Square area downtown and it was, it was, you felt like you were living in New York, but more spread out and rent was a third of the price. Um, and can't recommend it enough, um, to anyone, especially fresh out of college, um, and very fond memories and lots of friends Mm. there and love any chance to go back. Yeah. It's a very manageable city. People say, especially people coming from New York city. Um, which is great. So, okay. So at Lily, first off, I think Lily has the coolest history too, to it. I was just reading about it last night, how it was founded in 1959. Um, and you know, it became very popular with Jackie Kennedy down in Palm beach. And then it shut down, correct? Like in, in the early 1980s. Yes. Okay. Or no, was it revived? Let's see. So it's, yeah. it was revived in the nineties. Okay. So it shut down operations in 1984 and then re- revived in 1993. So I think that's just so incredible that they were able to revive it. Um, and I think it has such a really cool history. So anyway, so at Lily would love to hear about what your role was and, um, your, essentially your job. Yes. Oh, I loved my time at Lily. And like you said in the, um, before we started, so many people that were there and crossed past over, you know, the six years that I was there have gone off and done so many things. And I think that really speaks to Lily just being all about that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and that's such an important core value. And it was just the best environment, um, that still functioned like a startup in some ways that you could get things done quickly and approvals and, um, have big ideas that were out of the box and just make them happen. Mm -hmm. Um, but then also they're owned by Oxford industries, um, who owns Tommy Bahama, um, and Southern tide. So have, you know, this infrastructure, um, and resources of a much larger, um, backing. So, um, can't speak more highly of my time at Lilly. Um, so I was there for six years when I started, I guess I started as an intern, um, and then got hired and, um, Janie had just become the head of marketing. So I think I was technically like her first hire on the team and it was really small, like just a few of us. Um, and And just so listeners know quickly too, um, I said this in the beginning, but Janie Winchester paradise is also, um, uh, was a podcast guest and, um, she has, an I loved her. <laughs> yeah. So I have to give a shout out to her cause she's so awesome, but um, continue though, Caroline. So yes, Janie was the VP of marketing and, um, just, I learned straight from her, like how to build a business strategy, how you think of acquiring new consumers and then retaining them, um, and how to set that up and manage a team and motivate everyone to go towards the same goals. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's an incredible leader. Um, and when I started, we, I was in charge of social media. So, um, really, I think Lily's Instagram, when I started, had like 5,000 followers. And that was something I was really passionate about, about growing. And, mm-hmm. you know, at that time, so many larger brands weren't comfortable sharing these not picture perfect professionally shot images, which that's not what consumers were engaging with on Instagram. Um, and Janie, like gave me, you know, through her arms, I was like, go for it, make it fun, innovate. What can we do? So, um, got to just, you know, constantly post and build this community of, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers and have this base before some brands even had their own Instagram channel, um, and share behind the scenes contents and everything. And then, you know, grew it into a huge referral channel of sales, um, as well. And then and we were the first too, just so people and, understand. Cause it's, it's, of yeah. Mind. 2013. Okay. Um, or t- yeah, 2012, 2013. Got so, it. um, 
So that was really, I was in charge of all social media. Obviously, Facebook was still huge. It still is huge, but um, more in engaging with customers and sharing um, branded content way. Um, and then we were the first fashion brand on Snapchat. Um, and that was like me seeing, you know, younger friends using it. Um, and being like, oh, let's set up an account and do this. And I remember I like found Evan Spiegel on LinkedIn, um, who, you know, created Snapchat and like sent him a message. Are you working with brands? We'd love to do something. And he messaged me back and was like, no, we're not working with brands yet, but let's do a case study, um, or see what we can do. Um, and we ended up getting, you know, case study and stories about how brands were using Snapchat and just positioning ourselves as these big innovators in the digital and social media space. Yeah. Um, which is so cool. As you said, Lily has this history since, um, you know, 1950s, 60s and, to be seen as, you know, very modern marketers um, and doing cool things and storytelling um, was an awesome way to grow the brand. Um, and then I think from social media, we grew, or I started taking off more like PR influencer marketing. I would say it was influencer marketing before it was called influencer marketing. It was more like, hey, the algorithms changing on social media. Our posts aren't able to be seen as much to our followers. Let's get other people to post about us. Yeah. Um, and would just make a list of um, bloggers and other brands that had similar DNA of Lily, mm. you know, really optimistic, open to bright colors, love to celebrate summer. Mm. Um, and just found, you know, contacts there on LinkedIn or Facebook and emailed them. And we, at that time, you know, were one of the brands with the largest amount of followings on Instagram. So everyone was eager for us to post about them. Um, So we did like a huge uh, national where Lily Day is the first day of summer and got like hundreds of brands, you know, from SoulCycle to, you know, top beauty brands um, to post about Lily and everything just, you know, exploded and then consumers post and everything. Um, And did you got, did you have on the Instagram account when, when you left Lily, wasn't there like over 500,000? Um, yes, yes, okay. over five hundred thousand. Um, five thousand, just just around. Yes, which so, is cool. And just so <laughs> listeners understand too, I was reading some articles last night, um, older articles back from like 2015 when you were sort of building this account, and it's really cool. There are so many articles highlighting what an incredible job that Lily was doing on social media, particularly Instagram and how they stood out amongst the other fashion companies. And so what's so cool, Caroline, is that you're part of that success because you were running the actual account behind the scenes. It's so cool to look back at that and also how much it's shifted and, you know, Lily, it's just even growing and they're doing, um, really cool things, um, on their social media still today. And, you know, what's the next platform going to be? How can we innovate? Um, and can't wait to see um, where that all goes. And we all spend so much time on those platforms and now TikTok's part of it. Um, it's, it's really a fascinating space that's um, really fast-paced, ever-changing. It's almost like managing your own company with company. Right. Um, since you're focusing on referral sales, engagement, gaining more followers and everything. So really love the social media influencer marketing space because it's the perfect balance of qualitative and quantitative. Um, so, so, yes. Um, so from... Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, so um, obviously a big accomplishment at Lily was building their Instagram account, which is so cool. Um, and then what were some of your other accomplishments during that six-year time frame? So I'd say um, after social media and influencer marketing, um, I really focused on brand collaboration. So Lily Pulitzer for Target was a really big one that the company did. Um that was obviously explosive. I'm sure lots of people waited in line and everything. And it was fun to see that they brought that back with Target um, in a smaller way with other um, best of collaborations um, a, cu- a couple years ago. Um, but since that was so successful, it's like, okay, there's something here. Let's do more brand collaborations. So um, really, um, I became in charge of that strategy and um, built that and came up with the ideas, um, pitched and negotiated the brands, and then really managed it through execution. So um, bigger ones that we did 
were Lily Pulitzer for Pottery Barn, um, Lily Pulitzer for Starbucks with the Swell Bottles. Mm-hmm. Um, so just these record-breaking um, moments for the company. Starbucks website crashed. Um, and just constantly amazed by the demand and love for the special brand the, that Lily is. The Target one was incredible, too. And an article I read, it said it was the fastest-selling collaboration it had ever under undertook and I think everything sold out in one day something like that yeah. it was it was wild, wild. Um, I, I was there trying to buy stuff just as much as anyone else yeah. um but and it, you know those are the bigger ones but what was really fun is some of the smaller ones um like for Lily Pulitzer we uh, at the company celebrate Lily's birthdays in November every year in a big way and so we partnered with Southwest Airlines um and passengers that were flying to Palm Beach that day on a few flights were surprised with goodies and gift cards and had a plate party and would come on the loudspeaker and do trivia um we did a, an Uber collaboration um, right before Uber was really big. And like, I actually had to be, I became an Uber driver because um, because of insurance purposes and people would be surprised with the Lily Jeep to pick them up and we drive them to the store for a shopping spree. Um, so really fun, um, you know, best in class brands um, that, like I said, had that similar DNA and we could just brainstorm out-of-the-box ideas that um, would build brand awareness for both of us. So really love getting to have that more external role of talking with other companies and learning about them and see how we could help each other. Yeah. And the other thing I remember you doing just from, I remember following you on social media after Morgan's wedding is that you guys traveled a lot, right? To do the shoots where essentially you met a lot of um, your um, connections now. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. I think, so I was with Lily for six years, and I think I was only in the office all five days, maybe two or three weeks. (laughs) Um, So just, you know, everything Lily is so, you know, Florida, warm weather related. So going down there for influencer trips would help for shoots. Um, Editors wanting to see things, store openings. Um, And I think I was the person on the team with no reason to be home and love, love, love to travel. So um, just kind of lived on a suitcase and went and did everything and loved every second and the opportunities um, that I got to have there. Yeah, such a cool six-year span that you had there. Really nice. Um, So as we first, when we first started, I talked about when I ran into you in Philadelphia a few years ago, and um, you were talking about the opportunity that arose at Victoria's Secret. So And again, I thought that was so brave that you were up and moving to a brand new city. So can you tell us about how that opportunity came apart and sort of, you know, what your experience was like there? Yes. Um, So I love, love, love Lily and never um, was even thinking about leaving Lily. And then Victoria's Secret um, got new leadership. I think this was like 2019. Okay. And what was so appealing there was to go from Lily, which, you know, is still a big company, but I think their last earnings report is all public. So you can see it was, it was like, they're around like 250 million and then going to Victoria's Secret, which is a $7 billion company. Um, it was just, you know, gosh, what I could learn there and just to be exposed to that, um, career wise, would just be an incredible opportunity. Mm. Um, and I was supposed to be based in New York, but then at the last minute ended up being based in Columbus, Ohio, mm. which was definitely a twist, but I would say, I would also say Columbus, Ohio is an underrated city. Right. Um, and, um, made the jump. And so I was director of marketing at Victoria's Secret and really focused on the strategy side of things. And, you know, what I really learned there was, you know, the operational complexities and much, much larger budgets that you get when you're working at a $7 billion company. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in charge of, I literally would stand up in meetings and say I'm the director of marketing, focusing on bras and panties, <laughs> um, which, which was 
running. Um, and so not my personality, which um, adds another twist to it. But um, so that's a $4 billion category. And then I had a counterpart um, that focused on um, sport and sleep. So just so much, so many more products and assortments and, you know, hundreds of stores um, to really reach customers and was really a great opportunity to see what marketing is like for such a massive company. Um, And also Victoria's Secret owned by L Brands, which um, is such, you know, just a retail mecca of has owned, started, and sold so many retail brands. So mm-hmm. just a lot of resources and learnings there. Yeah. And then next I want to talk about your experience um, with Julia Engel um, Burlzheimer. And I want to make sure I pronounce that correctly too <laughs> for her new marriage. You nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Um, because I think this is such a cool um, opportunity that you had. So how did that come about? So when I was at Lilly and like I said before it was even called influencer marketing we had this idea which now is nothing innovative bringing influencers and editors to Palm Beach to truly see where Lilly started their brand and take photos and wear the, cl- the clothes and just immerse themselves in this you know experiential Lilly Pulitzer trip um so Julia um and her husband Thomas they came to Palm Beach while I was Lilly and I hosted them and they were just so great. They are the kindest people and um, also so bright on the business side of things. And, you know, we'd be at these influencer trips that I'd always gravitate to sitting near them at the end of the table and get in these conversations about what's going on in industry. And, mm. you know, also saw firsthand how um, Julia in the influencer world, um, which is, which is exploding and it's also really saturated. And Julia is one of the influencers that truly has this transactional community. Um, so saw firsthand just how engaged her customers were and, um, you know, she did refer and did really well, um, for Lily on that trip and just built that relationship. So as, she, you know, was growing and um, made this big jump to start Galmi's Glam Collection, which is a retail line that really focused on effortlessly feminine um, everyday dresses. Um, it just exploded in the first few months that they have it or that they launched it um, and was knew that there was so much opportunity to grow it. So we're looking for um, a head of marketing and leadership partner to really um, hop on board and help take it to the next level. And um, when, you know, they were having all that growth, catching up with her, I just was also craving going back to that smaller environment that's much more um, simple and action-oriented that you come up with an idea, you pitch it, you get the budget, and you make it happen, and you're doing things. Um, And twist my arm, I need to move to Charleston. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, that's really how the opportunity came about. And you did interviewed and did some phone calls with um, Julia and Thomas and was just so on board with their vision um, and knew, you know, the power of the brand and all the momentum that they were having and wanted to be part of taking it to the next level. And just so listeners understand, too, for those that may not be familiar with Julia, she is probably one of the biggest influencers, right? She has like 1.2 million followers. Yes. Okay. And she has a really cool story too. I was just reading about it last night is that how she started, um, I guess she called her blog back then in 2011, like in college. And then, um, she also had a full-time job and then eventually left a full-time job to do, um, to do her blog. And, um, did I miss anything? Is that correct? Her story there? No, that's exactly it. And, um, then Thomas, her husband, he ended up jumping on full, uh, full time. Um, and they really, you know, took it from being a blog to really developing it into this full lifestyle brand. Right. Um, so since Gami Slam collection, she wrote a blog post explaining everything and, um, some tough decisions she had to make despite, you know, being so successful and great sales. Um, she decided to shut that down, um, and then rebranded as Julia Barrelsheimer, her married name. Mm-hmm. Um, and can't wait to see what's next for her. She, 
her and Thomas are just incredibly hardworking and she just has the best design eye. Mm. Um, so I'm sure whatever um, she does next will be extremely successful. Definitely. And I think a lot of listeners are really intrigued by the influencer industry and still sort of unfamiliar with it too. So can you explain in ways how Julia uh, and her husband sort of generate revenue streams? Um, Absolutely. And it is fascinating. And I would say influencers, and especially Julia, work incredibly hard. Um, And the best way to explain it is just as a brand, when you have your marketing budget and you're thinking, how can I get eyeballs into my brand and then get them to convert and increase sales? You know, many years ago, you'd probably give it more to magazine ads. Mm. Um, And as less people are reading physical magazines, more people are on Instagram or blogs reading influencers. So marketers shift their budget and would rather give that money to people like Julia and other influencers that create this content about the brand Mm -hmm. um, and have many more eyeballs on it than what other areas of marketing have. Um, So essentially they create paid content um, and advertisements but, you know, no one's going to follow an influencer if it's just ad after ad. So they really also focus on just the organic branding and sharing things and curating products mm-hmm. that people come to. Um, and then buying, you know, these paid sponsored partners that they, you know, hopefully it's the right fit and they can share their products in an authentic way as well. Yeah. Um, and then there's also, I would say, affiliate links, which more people are familiar with it now than I feel like in years past, but reward style or shop style or Rakuten are really popular affiliate networks and, Mm -hmm. um, influencers add tracking onto their links. So when they're saying, here's a product, um, if that tracking's on there, they get a small kickback if people purchase from there. Um, so there's all different revenue streams and that space is just constantly changing. Um, but yes, I would say it's, they all find ways to monetize content. And then what essentially was your role there, um, while you, when you were working with them? So my, my official title is vice president of marketing. Um, and really, you know, the team was small. Um, so I had my hat, I wore a lot of hats and my hands and a lot of different things. Um, I managed all marketing channels and then also thought of bigger growth ideas of product launches, brand partnerships and collaborations, um, and really shaped the strategy of how to position the brand gal meets glam and integrate, um, the collection and products with the blog. Right. And one of your accomplishments, we talked about this before we were recording was with Margot shoes, correct? Yes. And you had, um, Alexa Bracero on the podcast as well. I did. I found Alexa. So Alexa's actually from right outside of Philadelphia. So we had a lot of mutual connections. Um, and no, she was wonderful. She's one of the co-founders of Margo. And for listeners that aren't familiar with Margo, they sell beautiful wear everyday comfortable shoes. And Alexa and her co-founder, um, Sarah Pearson, they launched a company in 2015 and they've had so much success. And then a fun fact, I also interviewed Alexa's dad, Walt Buckley, who's a really incredible entrepreneur. So I had to give them a little bit of a shout out. But yes, Karen, I would love for you to explain how that partnership worked between Margot and Julia. Okay. Um, it's such a small world when you think about everyone that's been on this podcast and the Philly connections. Um, but I am huge fans of Margot Shoes and, um, like you said, like the Sarah, the founders. They are so hardworking and smart and really enjoyed working with them. Um, a lot of the partnership, I know this was even before I had joined Gal Meets Glam, just Julia authentically loved their shoes and wore them. Um, and the next step naturally was like, well, let's design something together. Our, you know, brands go hand in hand so well. And, um, obviously Yami's Glam collection didn't have their own set of shoes. So it was a fun way to give, you know, Julia's customers a taste, um, of that. Mm -hmm. And they worked together to design a collection. There was like four styles in it and it did so well. Um, and really sold out quickly. And, um, it was so good. We brought it back 
again um, a second time as well. Yeah. And I read an article last night and um, I think uh, Laxa was quoted. She said, after consulting with Julia for the second Gal Meets Glam collaboration, Margo saw four times normal traffic on its site and double the normal conversion rate, plus 72% of day one sales taking place within the first hour of the launch. So, which is so cool and incredible of how um, successful that was for you guys. Um, so one other question Carolina had for you is what it was like living in South Carolina, because I think you also had a major milestone. You met your now husband, correct? Were you yes. Yeah. So you want to tell us about that a little bit? Um, yeah, so living in Charleston was the best. Oh my gosh. That city is so amazing. Um, and never thought I could have a career necessarily in Charleston since not um, many major companies are based there. And I, I know more and more are popping up all the time, but I lived there downtown and um, the offices were in Mount Pleasant. It was just beautiful. I could bike to the ocean every day. I would just read, ride a little pink beach cruiser to go to the grocery store or any errands. Um, I had more visitors there than I did in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Um, and I, I hope I get to go back to Charleston a lot, um, at some point in my life, because it really is a magical place, um, and just full of so much art and culture and different things going on there as well. But, um, yeah, and I met my husband, um, Michener there within a month of moving there. Um, and it was my best friend from college is his best friend from high school or sorry no i messed that up my best friend from college is married to his best friend from high school um yes so he my my friend her name's kimbrell and she had always said like you know bruce has this friend that i think you'd hit it off with like you're both really similar love to work really hard but also really fun but I don't think either of you are ever looking for anything serious, so there's no point. Um, and then, and I didn't even know his name at that point. And then he visited um, for a weekend. It was actually his birthday, and it wasn't like this forced setup thing. But we all went out to dinner, and pretty much from there, we he was living in New York, but we saw each other every weekend since there or since then, and then just got married in September. So, so um, it was pretty obvious, just like. You're my person. Let's do this. Um, But yes, lots of fun money, lots of fun memories in Charleston and going back between Charleston and New York. Okay. So now I want to talk about CWT, your company that you just launched, what, like a month ago? Not even? Yes. It's been so exciting. So so listeners know today is Friday, um, February 12th. So you just launched it last month in January or only like a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah, so I've I've been working on it. So when in, starting in June, when Julia closed Gal Meets Glam, um, I you know needed to find work, and it was the worst time to be doing that. <laughs> um, obviously, everyone was laying off marketing teams or slashing budgets. So why would they hire an executive and? I mean, I had hundreds of phone calls with people that I know just from past roles connected and everyone could have been kinder, mm. but it was all very much like, let's talk in 2021. I hope I have something for you. Right. Um, but fortunately started consulting, um, with I think like three to five different brands. Um, but in my mind, it was very much a band aid. And I, my husband was like, I bet you, you like this and this goes into something and, like most things, he was right, um, and I loved every second of consulting. Um, I loved being able to work with a variety of brands, um, really having ownership of what I was doing. You know, was my own brand or company, um, and I made the decision in December um, that I was going to no longer look for full-time jobs. I had a few opportunities pop up, um, but just kept having, you know, that same entrepreneurial bug or spirit that we keep talking about. Um, but this was the perfect time to make the jump and grow this out. So, um, I've been doing consulting for six, seven months now, and we'll continue with those clients. But 
last month officially, you know, made the step of setting it up as an official um, business, launched a website, um, and it's called CWT Consulting Group. Um, and it's been so exciting to see all of the support from people, um, you know, from past roles. Um, and just, it's, it's, you know, been a roller coaster for sure, but really um, excited with this decision and excited to grow it out and see where I can take it. And what was the advice of Janie Winchester Paradise, who we've talked about previously? Uh, who oh, yes. I, what when I announced you? it, I shared this. <laughs> um, so I always go to um, Janie for advice. And when I was going back and forth about going in-house somewhere or, you know, starting my own thing, she's like, I think it's what you need to think about is do you want to bet on another company or bet on yourself? Um and she's like, I'd bet on yourself. And for I, you know, it's it's a weird feeling because you have to have a certain amount of confidence. It's also so strange marketing yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but made the decision and hopefully don't look back. And um, I'm really excited. I've already learned so many things that go into starting your own business. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm just so excited. Yeah, and I love your website, Caroline. And like, just by looking at your website, you you already have such well-known clients too, such as Tucker Knock. Uh, I had one of their co-founders, September Riniervada, on our my podcast a couple years ago. Um, and then obviously seeing you doing work with Morgan's company, Addison Bay, and then Janie's company too. It's so cool. Um, so my question too is, what sort of services are you offering to um, these different clients? Great question. Um, so it's a little bit of everything, but I would say overall, um, brands come to me that either need an overall marketing or consumer strategy. Um, so they already have a product. Most of the founders are these amazing creatives, um, and you know, they have a site and sales are strong, um, but they want to take their marketing to the next level. So it's almost, I really wanted to get the domain rent cmo.com. Um, but of course that's taken having me come in and build that strategy, um, audit all marketing channels. So email marketing, social media, um, your promotional strategy, influencers, media partnerships, Mm. um, and see, say, this is some low hanging fruit that's going to refer sales. Let's fix in this. And some of it, I, you know, stay on and really manage and develop it out. And a lot of it, they have a team that can then just needed those ideas and tidbits and then can execute it themselves. Um, and then also, Focus on, you know, influencer outreach if people have big campaigns coming, um, and as well as brand partnerships and collaborations. So it's so fun. Like I always say, Lily gave me this amazing foundation of that I got to focus on all different areas of marketing and build a strategy. I get, I get to do that again, um, and at different times and with a variety of brands. Right. So it's really engaging work and so fun to see, you know, especially these smaller companies and brands, um, to actually, you know, you quickly see sales increase. Um, and just like I said, finding that low hanging, low hanging fruit and, um, optimizing their channels and just generating tons of ideas to help them. Yeah. I love it. And then, um, before you made the decision to build your own company, um, you obviously have to step outside your comfort zone. So can you talk about why stepping outside your comfort zone and taking risk is so important to getting to the next level? You, I, I mean, that when you think about growth, that's the times you grow the most. And I would say, um, even, you know, in-house at Lily, when Jane, you'd be like, I want you to, your position to kind of change and you lead this. I'd be like, but I don't know anything about that. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, you just you invest yourself and learn um, and become an expert in that space and ask lots of questions to people who have been in that um, and do your research. And next thing you know, you could be an expert in doing all of those things. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely risky. Um, and I would say from starting my own business, um, I, I actually thought I was going to major in finance before I 
um, switched to marketing. Like in my head, I thought marketing before I knew anything was like the girl that brought the balloons to the party <laughs> um, and did not know that it was very legitimate, lots of um, competitive research and quantitative um, and very strategic. Um, so wanted to major in finance, but then switched to marketing after having some internships that I loved and realizing that's what I was really passionate about. But as a result, I don't do as much as the finance stuff. So now, you know, setting up the business, figuring out accounting um, and payroll and taxes and those kind of pieces are really outside of my comfort zone. Um, but wanted to make sure to be educated on it enough before, you know, hiring an expert to run with it. Um, and, you know, what I've learned over the past few months doing that is really invaluable and will use for business and personal. Mm. I love it. Um, and one of your other clients too, Worthmore Negotiations, I was reading their articles last night and their company is so intriguing. So correct me if I'm wrong, but they help women learn how to negotiate more effectively. Um, exactly. And there's wild statistics such as that men are eight times more likely than women to negotiate for a higher salary. Um, and um, the founder, Catherine Valentine, is that who you work with from Worthmore Negotiations? Yes, and she's an ex um, Lily person as well. Oh. She is bril- brilliant. Yeah. Um, and a McKinsey advisor and has her own um, consulting agency as well. But Worthmore Negotiations um, is what she started. Um, and the amount of research and advice, she is so inspiring. It's been really awesome to work for her and help get national awareness of the brand. Yeah. Um, for sure. I think I cut you off. Sorry. No, no, you're fine. I was just, uh, I was reading all her articles last night and I'll link them in our podcast interview, but she said that one of the reasons, you know, that men are a lot more likely to ask for, um, raises or negotiate for them is because our culture, it is frowned upon when women act too pushy or aggressive. And I think this quote from her is really interesting. She said, I believe it's because of backlash. Backlash is a social and economic punishment for behaving against society's stereotype. This context means that women who are seen as out to get theirs rather than being for the community could experience negative uh, repercussions. Even if women don't know the academic term for this, we are highly attuned to it and therefore shy away from self-promotion. Furthermore, many women I talk with don't actually like self-promotion because it feels inauthentic to them. They do care about others more than themselves. So it's, it's really, really interesting, her whole article that I highly suggest people read. Um, and then what I thought was really interesting too is that she said that you know it's they need to learn how to it's almost like an art negotiate, negotiation, especially if you're a woman, and you have to negotiate differently than men. And she recommends, um, uh, I think this is one thing she says, um, being coming across as warm, approachable, and likable, their odds of success increase dramatically, rather than coming across as sort of like that pushy person. Um, so anyway, so the whole articles were so, were really, really intriguing. And I think what she's doing is so awesome. Oh, it really is incredible. And I think I've learned so much, um, about it as well. And friends have taken um, the course that she often offers and she does private coaching as well. And just saw huge results. Um, um, and it, it's fascinating. Like, I think I definitely never shy away from negotiating and asking um and that's you know first nature for me but i will say like managing i i can think of one instance for sure that is managing um a girl that was so hardworking, over delivering on everything and just a total rock star and you came to her annual review um and you know you list out all of your achievements and everything and it came to the end and she never asked for any increase or wanted to talk about her financials um and you know what she deserved compensation wise and i looked at her and i said what but what about your compensation um and she's just like well i didn't think it'd be appropriate to ask it's like this is the exact time to ask you just literally said everything you've done and you know told her go back and add this in before i turn it in i can't guarantee anything but you have to ask um and just to see you know that person that 
was so bright, so educated, such a go-getter. But when it came time to vocalizing, you know, what she deserves and asking for more, um, she shied away from it. So she does, you know, think of how many other people are like that. And it really is a huge issue. Um, so I think absolutely. And what's unique about the work more negotiations and Catherine's research is what she really found was negotiations have been taught gender neutral. Mm -hmm. Um, And if a woman does negotiate how a lot of resources out there teach, which is directed for males, Mm -hmm. it isn't successful. Um, So making sure to get those resources to women and show them the ways that can be Mm -hmm. um, super success. And Oh my gosh, she has so much research that it's wild that even if you just get a 2% salary raise on your first, you know, your original offer from the company, uh, if you stay there for 10 years, every increase is based on that plus, you know, inflation and savings and everything. So, um, it's, it's substantial money women are walking away from by just not having that first conversation of asking for more. Agreed. Agreed. And even reflecting after I was reading the articles last night. Um, you know, growing up, I went to an all, all girls high school and you're, and you're taught to be, Same. <laughs> you're taught to be polite. You're not taught to be pushy. So then I'm in commercial real estate now and like a male dominated industry and it's a fast paced industry. And I remember in the beginning when I would need a plan back from an architect or I needed to get a lease done from an attorney, I was very like, Oh, can you please send this to me? And it wasn't pushy. And then I learned over the, over time that like, uh, I had to be pushy sometimes and be like, I need this right now. And so I struggled with that for a while because I felt like that was frowned upon and I was being so aggressive. But what I've learned too, and I think what, um, Catherine is her name, right? Uh, the founder says is that she's right. is almost to come across as warm, approachable and likable. So I focus on building like really good relationships with the architects, attorneys and other people I deal with. And then when it comes time, when push comes to shove, and I have to be pushy with that. And they know that it's because it's like, there's an actual reason, you know, to get a deal done. Um, so, but anyways, yeah, I will totally link all her articles because they're really, really intriguing. And I don't think it's talked about enough. So, um, couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, well, Karen, I think we wrapped up on everything. That was awesome. Is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners? I mean, this was so fun. I feel like I got, I just got a flashback of so many great memories um, from work-wise and times in Philly and just can't thank you enough for having me. Um, if anyone wants to you know, reach out or have questions or if I can ever help with anything, um, I, you know, my email and everything's all on my Instagram. So my Instagram's Caroline Ann Wright. And then, or my company one is CWT Consulting Group. And just feel free to reach out. Always here to help. Um, and just can't thank you enough, Steph. Yeah. And I'll link everything to Caroline to um, the podcast page. Hi, everybody. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to High Five Success Stories. To learn more about the podcast, feel free to follow me on Instagram. My handle is at High Five Success, or on Facebook, you can like High Five Success Stories with Steph Hayden. Or I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at High Five Hayden. And lastly, you can subscribe to the newsletter on my website, www.stephhayden.com. And if you get a second, I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on iTunes. Thanks so much.